Hey everybody, welcome back to Level Playing Field, Rugby Edition. These rugby-specific episodes are a way to get excited for this year's Rugby World Cup later on this year in Japan. This is my first team-specific episode, and the team I chose for the first one was the South London Stags. South London has become an area of the world that I've sort of adopted as my own. Crystal Palace is a football club in the Premier League, and I just started to fall in love with them. And I went to a game last year uh, where we lost to Arsenal, but I still love the community, love the area around Selhurst Park. So South London Stags have become sort of my unofficial home team. I talked to Matt Carter. He is one of the players. He's one of the founders. He is also a writer, director, and editor of movies. In fact, his movie that we talk about, In From the Side, is sort of how we get the South London Stags as a team. Um, We'll go into detail about that and explain it. Um, But it's pretty cool how he was able to use his love of rugby to create a movie. And then some of the resources for that movie help form a rugby club in South London. Anyways, I hope you enjoy our talk with Matt and yeah, just enjoy it. We had a lot of fun. Matt's a funny guy. Um, He's open and it was just a great talk. So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Welcome Matt to my podcast. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. Cool. Before we talk about the South London Stags, I want to get to know a little bit about you. So what was your involvement in sports when you were young? I think I had an experience that's probably quite typical of a lot of maybe gay men when they were younger. I didn't really enjoy sport that much in school. And it wasn't something that, I suppose, until I became an adult, really, that it's something I got back into. I mean, I suppose I did the gym route that a lot of people do, but um, it wasn't until I sort of joined a rugby club with a friend of mine who sort of dragged me along and... Um, and I realized actually it was a sport that I kind of, I think I missed out on in school really. And I didn't really, I wish I'd sort of liked it earlier because I completely fell in love with it and sort of made loads of friends with it. And it kind of took over my life for about five years. Um, and yeah, so I've just, it's kind of, I'm really all about sort of you know, trying to get sport to more people uh, because I think that's basically what it was for me really. Where did you start playing? Uh, I started playing in London in the, for the King's Cross Steelers, uh, which is sort of based in sort of West Ham um in sort of east london which is a little bit far out but it's you know it was worth the commute at the time oh yeah so you grew up in south london actually i didn't i grew up in bournemouth which is on the south coast of uh, of britain um so it's a bit different but i sort of moved to london about 10 years ago and i've been here ever since really oh yeah i've been there it's beautiful down there yeah nice, nice beaches what position do you play well i play anywhere in the backs but i do i Preference playing center, but I've played kind of you know wing. I've played ten. I've played fullback. I've played a bit of everything really. Occasionally a forward if I'm really pressed or if they're really desperate. But um, I'm much more of a back, more sort of athletic <laughs> and running. Alrighty. What attracted you to rugby? What what part of the game do you enjoy the most? Well, I suppose I kind of fell into rugby almost by accident. It wasn't really like a planned thing, and um, it's just there was you know the Steelers was a thing in London that a lot of people sort of knew about, and I wanted to join it and just sort of give it a go really, um, and that got me into sort of into rugby. But I mean it's. I, I suppose it's completely by accident, really. There wasn't anything particularly about rugby that stood out. I mean, I was never really a big football fan. I never really... I still not really. I sort of think it's a bit of a quite repetitive game. I, I, was, I, I don't get really why it's so massive around the world. Cause I think rugby is so much more interesting. There's so much, it's such a more dynamic game. There's so many more things that can happen in a, in a match. And yeah, I think it's... Yes, it might be a bit more complicated for some people. And you know, maybe that's why it doesn't have such a big following. But I think that's partly what also makes it so interesting. 
Yeah, it's rugby is one of my two favorite sports. In fact, as we watch or as we talk, I have Crystal Palace playing against Bournemouth on the TV. <laughs> nice. Um, I'm a Palace fan, so excited to see them winning in their final game of the season. At least at this moment, we'll see what happens at the end. How do you compare rugby in its openness for the LGBT community versus other sports that you've seen? Well, I suppose obviously I'm basing this purely on my experience of rugby and I haven't really played any other sort of major sports but from my knowledge and from what I've heard from other people I think it, it is one of the more inclusive sort of and more open sports it, I, I, there's so many people I know who are sort of gay men who play for straight teams and it's sort of it, it really isn't an issue now for people to be kind of open obviously you'll find some clubs that are different but generally speaking it's one of the more progressive sports um, and I think that's probably why it's sort of growing in popularity as well and I kind of I think it's Shows up football a bit to shame where, you know, there's still this kind of stigma around players being open about who they are. I mean, there's so many now sort of open gay rugby players who, you know, who are really leading the way for inclusivity in sport, which is amazing. And I think that's, I think, a testament to the sport itself. I think it's the culture that surrounds rugby that allows that kind of inclusivity to, to sort of flourish and do well. It is funny how with rugby, it's such a masculine sport, but you have Nigel Owens, you have uh, Keegan, you have Sam, you have Ian Roberts down in Australia, so many openly gay athletes have played the game. Well, I think what's quite interesting as well, just going to a point where you just said there about it being a very masculine sport, I find it interesting that sort of people have this kind of idea that masculine sports are the sort of antithesis of something that gay men would be interested in. I think, you know, there's there's gay men or men at the end of the day as well, and they kind of, you know, we enjoy masculine things as, as much as anyone else. I think it's, I don't feel that, I mean, rugby has this perception that it's a very kind of, I suppose macho is maybe maybe the best way of describing it. So sport, mm-hmm. but I don't think I think what uh, when I see a lot of gay men getting into rugby, I think they actually opens up their kind of the side. Then maybe their more masculine side that they maybe didn't feel comfortable expressing. And actually, that's one of the nice things about rugby. It allows you to kind of be much more fuller person, explore every aspect of your personality. Yeah, I totally agree. And the thing about rugby too, it's you have these you know these games you play, these matches, and then after it's done, it becomes a party. Yeah. You know, you're you're sit, drinking pints with your friends and your opponents. Yeah. Oh, that's 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 totally part of the culture. Yeah. I mean, that's that's partly sort of um, why. I mean, that that whole culture element of it is what really inspired me to make a movie about it because it, it has this this such a wonderful, rich culture that surrounds the sport. That's not just the game itself. It's the kind of the you know the drinks afterwards, the some of the awards, the tournaments you go on, all the little things that you do, and it really is like a family because you spend so much time with the same people essentially you know at training and at matches and you go out and nightclubs and stuff or you know just generally go to the pub together and you do form this really tight bond with you know your teammates and I think that's quite it's quite unusual in adult life it's kind of you only really get that kind of tight bond you know in high school or sometime when you spend that amount of time with people or maybe in the workplace but to have people who you have such a common interest with you spend that much time with and form that kind of closer bond with that kind of sort of family unit is is very unique and I mean i Maybe you quite unique to rugby. I mean, potentially other sports as well, but I think rugby is really special in, in that regard. It really is truly special. It's, it's very different than other sports. Hmm. I completely agree. You mentioned tournaments. As a Steeler, did you play in any Bingham tournaments, Union Cup? Um, I played for uh, one Union Cup and two Bingham Cups. And well, the first one was in... Uh, Nashville, second one was in Amsterdam, and the Union Cup I played for was in Madrid. So it was kind of nice to sort of try, travel around a bit and you know try different tournaments. And 
and they've all been completely different in the way they're set up and the kind of I mean all the teams are just such a wonderful the, you know, the clubs who host them do such a wonderful job in setting them up and yeah it's it's you know it's a privilege to replay for them yeah I would imagine there's a big difference between Nashville Tennessee and Amsterdam yeah oh god completely I mean <laughs> Nashville was was interesting in that it was about sort of 30 35 degrees every day and it was really dry and like you know rugby's a winter sport <laughs> you're used to sort of playing in mud and rain and cold and to sort of have to go and play you know essentially three sort of uh, 45 minute games in a day for three days sometimes if you, you know depending on how the tournament goes that's quite an intense experience in the heat and it's not something that a lot of us are, from Britain were really prepared for I think we kind of we um a lot of people running around with sort of water and electrolytes you know bet- between kind of you know stoppages and stuff and it was we were really just like sweating our asses off it was <laughs> it was quite an experience <laughs> And then you had Amsterdam, which was sort of a bit more like the, the climate that you kind of expect. It's kind of European, so it wasn't too bad. Actually, it was very sunny. It was very nice, but not like in a kind of oppressive heat, heat kind of way that we had in Nashville. Well, yeah, and I imagine, you know, once you leave the field, Nashville and Amsterdam is different as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, they'll see the, the, the setup, the accommodation. Like Nash, The Nashville tournament was... was that was because it was my first tournament, so it was always going to be very special. But we were staying on a university campus there, which was a Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. So we had all the all the, the different, not just the, the, you know, the club I was playing for, but all the other clubs were play were basically staying on this one campus. So it was kind of this really amazing atmosphere at breakfast in the morning, you know, and and you know just wandering around campus, just seeing everyone in one spot. Whereas uh, Amsterdam was a you know different experience again because people were staying over different parts of the city. So you know people going to town to catch up and stuff. It, it, it was very different vibe, but um, both e- equally great, just very different. Yeah, what, what do you do away from rugby? Um, so I do a lot of filmmaking stuff, uh, which is obviously uh, why I made a feature film recently. But I do a lot of uh, I'm kind of creative at heart, really. So um, I do I work in visual effects. That's my sort of day job. But I've been doing sort of visual effects, photography, music, uh, filmmaking. Sort of a lot of that stuff is what takes up most of my free time that isn't taken up by rugby. I think one of the most fascinating things about the Stags as a whole is how it all came to be from their kits, their logos, team colors. It was all really part of your vision, wasn't it, in this film? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a kind of crazy story, really. Cause, so about two years ago, I started writing a feature film with a, with a co-writer who uh, works in distribution, who distributed my last feature film. And I pitched the idea to him about um, a love story in a gay rugby team. And again, that's a, it's, it's a world that, you know, it's, it's our life, really. You know, if you're in a, in a gay rugby team or any rugby team, really, it's, it is like an all-encompassing world that you kind of take for granted. But for an audience who doesn't know about that, it is fascinating. And I always get questions asked, you know, oh, you play in a gay rugby team, what's that like? And people have these, you know, a million questions they want to know about. And I thought there's something really here that's really interesting that, you know, to bring to an audience that they might not have seen before, to sort of you know, shine a light on a world that has such a rich culture in it. So I started you know, putting pen to paper and wrote sort of a you know, full feature film screenplay, went through several drafts of it and got to a point where we were really happy with it. But I wanted it to be, not to be about any particular team, but to kind of be representative of what the world was like as a whole, you know, the whole the international gay rugby world. So I created this sort of fictional South London team, because obviously I live in London, wanted to shoot in London because it, it's practical for me. Uh, but I wanted it to be like its own kind of thing that was like an amalgamation of many different clubs that I've played over the years and, you know, all the different stories that you hear. So it basically created the South London Stags, which was sort of, you know, in the film, it's very non-specific where it is. It's sort of somewhere kind of around the Wandsworth kind of area, like in the film, that's kind of the station they get off when they walk to training there. Um, and it became this very, you know, very small, struggling grassroots uh, club that, you know, was the perfect vehicle to carry the kind of the story and the sort of show the kind of the world of the rugby. And obviously there's a, you know, the, the 
main theme, main kind of story is that I love story because obviously you've got to hook an audience in with something you can't expect people to just want to watch a sports film. You've got to have like a human element that makes it interesting and um, and explores lots of other themes other than rugby. But the rugby is a really big one. And I think, you know, the, it hits deep with a lot of the themes about, you know, fraternity, masculinity, um, friendship, family, like all the things that kind of, especially as adult gay men that a lot of people maybe... Um, maybe don't think so much about and you don't you know seeing these bonds form between people is it's kind of interesting and um and it's just something I, I just had to write about but yeah so the real stags was kind of crazy so obviously I had for the film I had to make all these props I had to make the you know the costumes the uh the role all the kits the club ties you know I had to buy all, you know loads of rugby balls everything almost enough to sort of start an actual club um and uh I saw an advert that someone posted on Facebook uh by actually it was Surrey which is one of the counties that sort of it's it, um, just slightly south of London, um, and they were starting an initiative by the RFU, which is the, um, the to try and do another sort of gay and inclusive rugby club. And I, as soon as I saw it, it was just a taster session, or sort of the event that was put on Facebook. I immediately had contacted Lucy, who was the the coach that was sort of behind it, and said I have to be involved in this. And you know, it's it's, it's on my doorstep as well in Tooting, which is right next to where I live. Um, and I said, love to be involved. Let me know if there's any way I can help. Um, you know, and, and I told her about the film, saying I've, it's crazy that I've just written this film about a fictional South London club, and now it looks like one starting, you know, in, in the exact same spot. Um, and I said, you know, if you want me to, I had all this kit, you know, from the film that wasn't going to get used. I said, if you let me know if you want to use it, you know, if you need help starting up. And she was like, absolutely. And so, um, and then a few other sort of ex dealers kind of joined on board and sort of came to the founding members of this club. And I sort of said, look, guys, you know, we can we can use this the Stags brand and the kit if you want, or I can create you a new one. And I think unanimously people sort of said they quite liked the name of the Stags. They thought it made sense and, you know, it would tie itself in nicely with the film when that comes out. So we kind of, the, the Stags then overnight almost became a real club. Um, and it was, and then literally in the last sort of couple of months since we started it, it's just grown exponentially. And it's kind of, I think it's caught us all off our, off our guard really about how successful it's sort of become. And we had our, you know, one of our training sessions yesterday. We do it every fortnight at the moment because we're trying to keep it as a sort of a bit more of an event rather than doing it too regularly. Um, and we had almost about 40 people turn up, um, which is crazy because, I mean, it, it, you know, it takes clubs years sometimes to kind of get that level. I mean, we're very lucky that, you know, London's a town of 7 million people. So we do have a you know, larger catchment area of people. But still, it's it's really tough to kind of get a club off the ground. And the fact that it's happening, happening at the rate it's going, it's kind of it, it's, it's amazing. It's, you know, it's nothing short of amazing. You know, I, I'm blown away by it every time we sort of have a training session and more people turn up every time. You mentioned something that. I find interesting. You talked about uh, friends and people you talked with about gay rugby. You mentioned their thoughts about what they what they thought it would be like. Did they ever say go into detail about what they thought it would be or what their expectations were? Um, and what in what sense that they what before they joined what they thought it'd be like versus what it actually was like for them when they joined? Yeah, I mean, what what did they expect it to be? Well, it's interesting because obviously I get a because I run the Facebook page for the the, the stags now. Um, and I get a lot of people, you know, saying they want to join and message me very tentatively saying, you know, I'd, I've really been interested in getting, rug in getting into rugby, but I've never played it before. I have no experience. Is that going to be a problem? I'm really nervous. Like, you know, is it going to be lots of contacts? I think people have this kind of, again, may maybe this comes from people, you know, being nervous about being, playing sport in school. But um, I think they think it's going to be a lot more hardcore than it actually is or, or it's going to be, they're going to be out their depth or they're not going to feel kind of included or part of it. And then when they come along, they have the training session and they, you know, they realize it's really fun. You know, we, we make a lot of effort to try and make people feel included. We don't push people out their depth, you know, and we've got about a lot of new people every week. So I keep saying to people, you're going to be in the same boat. There's lots of people who've never touched a rugby ball before in their life. Um, 
and they have a great time and they think fuck I you know I didn't realize that sport was this accessible and that you know what and and they immediately sort of fall in love with it and I think that's what happens to everyone when they first join a rugby club with lots of other like-minded people as they kind of they they it's they feel it's maybe that thing that's been missing in their life where this sort of sense of belonging or inclusivity and having this sort of a big group of friends with this sort of common shared interest um that and yet people do take to it like like ducks to water it's all all the time you know such a large majority of people who join stick at it and really get into it and that's definitely happened in the stags there's lots of people who kind of you know there's this little um it's funny how how obviously for the I set up so much stuff for the film and watching the real club now happen and sort of it's now taking you know life its own almost and watching the members sort of create this culture themselves outside of the one that you know we set up for them initially from the stuff from the film um it's this always this hashtag herd life which is the one i find funny <laughs> and um they've now created this kind of whatsapp group which is this chat which just every every time i log on it's like 400 new messages and they just everyone has having it it's crazy um and people just love this kind of bonding experience they get from having a rugby club and it's it's i think when i joined the steelers obviously it was a very established club you know it's been around for some 20 mm-hmm. years um but when you're in it you kind of i guess take a lot of that for granted but when you step out of it and you're setting up a new club and you watch how it could just how it you know it it emerges like a sort of like a, a flower kind of blooming so quickly and how um these people you know just take take this and run with it and make it their own it's it's it is amazing and i think maybe that is partly because they, there's this tentativeness about the expectation of what they think it's going to be like before they join and then when they realize it's completely for them they really, really take to it I don't know, it was a very long-winded answer, but I don't know if, I, if that kind of answered the it's question okay. a little bit. You answered perfectly. Going back to the the kit and the colors, did you do any, I think I'm fascinated by it, because did you do any market research or was it just something that you wanted, you liked the colors personally, you went for the design? I mean, how did that come about? Well, it's sort of, I mean, I, I just played around with them because obviously I've, I come from a kind of design, like photography background. So I kind of approached it how I would with anything really, like when you're doing a project for the first time or a client gives you a brief. Um, I knew I kind of wanted them, I mean, because obviously it was designed for a film. I wanted it to have kind of slightly earthier tones. I didn't want anything too bright. I wanted something that was kind of cl- like classic looking. Um, and I was approached, well, I did a Kickstarter campaign when we started the film to try and raise some money to generate it. And on the first day when the Kickstarter was, was released, this uh, a guy from the Leeds Hunters uh, called Ross, he contacted me, said he's a, he works in sort of uh, manufacturing for fashion. And he said, I'd love to help and in, in work with, with doing the kit for you, or with you rather. And um, so we brainstormed some ideas and I was doing some different designs with the logos and we just threw around colours you know, that we thought we liked and tried different stuff out. And we kind of both settled on this kind of navy and gold theme. Just you know, it just stuck out for us when we were playing with it, and it just worked so well. And we thought that was a really nice, unique one. We hadn't really seen that much elsewhere, and it's got these kind of regal feels to it. And there's so much you can do with that as well. It's you know, that simple two tone with a kind of little, we got white, little black embellishes, but it's really just navy and gold. Um, and so I designed loads of different options for the for the logo until we sort of settled on the one we went with. And I obviously made that up in the in the kind of golden and navy colours. And then we, I mean, the, a lot of the design from the, the kit came from the different manufacturers we looked at. And we looked at some sort of designs and options and played around with those. But we wanted something that would look really, um, uh, would sort of sculpt the figure quite well for the, you know, for the actors and on, on, set, on the, you know, on screen. So we had these kind of nice curves that would sort of accentuate the chest and the shoulders and had the, you know, those sort of streaky lines with the gold and, and it just seemed to work. And, and then when we got, we got the back, them back from the manufacturer, they just looked amazing. We were just so happy with them. And it works, you know, that, that same design with the, the colors works really well, the ties and, you know, and and yeah, I, I'm just really pleased. I think that's partly the reason why people wanted to keep the stags and those that kit, you know, for the real club when it became a thing, because 
I think it just everyone thought the design worked really well. And we, we constantly getting great feedback from people saying how much they love the kit and how much they want one as well. So when, we, when we're doing our next uh, round of uh, making the kit with the sponsors' names on, we'll probably run off for a second set for, for sort of supporters who want their own one for them to have. So because there's just so much interest for it. You know, pe- people just de- they're desperate to get their hands on them. Yeah, it's a brilliant design. I know design's personal and everyone has their own opinion, but I love the colors. I love the logo. In fact, I'm one of those people on your Instagram feed that asked for to buy one if you ever sell them because i think it's great <laughs> well we, we, we do them soon so i'll, I'll definitely put one aside for thank you. you let's talk about the film itself so you you do a kickstarter and mm. you're successful in your campaign obviously you raised enough money were you surprised at how how that came about and how that worked out well well firstly we didn't really raise enough money we raised it a proportion of the budget the rest i had to kind of fund and get investors money because i mean making a film is a very expensive venture i mean the fact we well, the whole film came to about 55 grand in total to make, but that, like, even that, making a feature film of the kind that we're doing with so 200 extras and all the different locations, and we had a, a unit that we shot in France, we took the crew out there the, to make all of that on 55 grand. I'm still quite pleased, you know, proud that we managed to do it for that for that little. Um, I mean, it helps because obviously, I, I mean, it, it helps because I, I obviously I work in film and I have a lot of production equipment, so all the lighting equipment, the camera stuff, um, you know, I already own. So that does cut the cost down somewhat, but we still had to pay for catering, you know, for, for loads of people, pay for locations, transport expenses. It, it all adds up. Um, and um, yeah, so, I mean, it, with the Kickstarter sort of was a proportion of that. But I mean, even then, the Kickstarter is hard work because trying to get people to part with their cash, even if you've got a really good product, you've got to really work it. And it's like a month of, of you know, worrying that you're going to piss people off to the point of sort of madness because you're badgering them so much going please share this please share this please share but it's worth it in the end and we you know we exceeded our goal quite considerably and and it was you know i think it was more the 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 marketing and the kind of the 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 hype that was built around it was almost the the real value from there not rather the actual money we raised because it sort of it sort of catapulted the the film into sort of you know the rugby world much more people shared it and people now know about this film know it's coming up um which is kind of you know that in itself is quite difficult to achieve in and of itself. So that was a nice thing that that happened with the Kickstarter. But um, yeah, I mean, we, we got some great response from it and people were very supportive. And, you know, so many of the clubs shared our, our Kickstarter campaign and were really supportive of us. And it was, it was heartwarming. How do you go about casting a film like this? Um, so we kind of, it is, it is tricky because obviously it's quite a specific and it's also because it's low paid as well. So I mean, there's the two lead actors got sort of a you know, decent wage, but the rest you know, had to be kind of expenses because we just, you know, you can't make a film like that with, um, and we just hoped that the strength of the script would make people want to be on board. And luckily it did, you know, people loved the script when they read it. Um, we put out a casting call on Mandy, which is like a, an online casting sort of agency. And we also approached for certain roles that we, we really struggled to cast for, we, we approached casting agents. But um, we put basically a casting call out saying, you know, it's a film about a gay rugby team, uh, anyone who has rugby experience, you know, it'd be amazing if you do. But if if not, it's not essential because at the end of the day, it's a film. You know, we can train people up to to fake rugby effectively. If you've got enough people on the pitch, you know what they're doing, and and you, you're doing shot for shot. You're not really putting people in a kind of real rugby situation. Well, saying that, a lot of people actually could play rugby, and it ended up becoming like an actual match when we when we, when we filmed it. And you know, I said, let, don't hurt each other. Don't, don't sort of you know, <laughs> don't don't do real contact. And then you know, let's just I got the crash mat out, and no one wanted to use it. Everyone did like real tackles, and I was pulling my hair out, going, God, they're gonna if someone breaks a leg, this is gonna really like mess up production, you know. But luckily, they, no one did, and everything came out really smoothly. But it looked great on camera because everyone was doing it, you know, for real essentially. Um. Um, but no, casting wise, it was good. And we, you know, we had some, I think about, 
150 people applied for the lead role and about 100 for the, the sort of the other lead role and we, we we auditioned we had to whittle that list down and we we held four audition days where we saw about 30 or 40 people each day and we recorded those uh for because obviously it's an ensemble cast and you it's about a rugby team so you've got so many different characters the coaches you know the, the parents of the main character all sorts of things so it's a quite a big cast and that was quite a challenge to also do that on a low budget as well um, we were very lucky that we had a cafe that led us, that has like a downstairs area that let us literally just use that for the whole day um, for the days we were doing the auditions and just to host that was our audition space rather than have to hire an audition space so I mean this whole film has literally been built on the kindness of strangers um, and people who it just it does kind of restore your faith in humanity a bit and how much people if you ask you know people will be willing to help if they believe in what you're trying to do yeah that's great that you had that that much support what do you? What were you looking for when you were casting your two main leads? It, was there something special or just overall? Well, it, I suppose when you, whenever you're casting any kind of character, you want someone who's who can really live that specific character. And you know, when you when you write something, it's especially when oh, I don't know when I write something, I try not to have like a real concrete image of what that person's like in my head, and just think about their character traits. And when you come to casting, you have to be kind of quite open minded and sort of think about you know what could this character be rather than you know, is this person what I imagine them to be. Um, and we basically, you know, wanted to look at people who had a really na- well. Firstly, who were great actors who had like a very na- naturalistic performance who could carry off the kind of the material um, and really breathe life into these roles. But also, you know, because the, 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 the character, the two lead actors have a specific rugby um, sort of role that they play. You know, one's a prop, one's sort of back. So they had to sort of have that sort of certain physicality, which was was quite a, tra- quite a challenge because you know, especially trying to. Um, cast someone who's going to be a prop you know but more of a muscular prop rather than sort of much more sort of the grassroots kind of heavier weight prop um and someone who also had the acting ability and it's a gay role as well which is unpaid or low paid so it's it's you know it was challenging but you know i was again i was blown away by the amount of responses we had and we got some some amazing talent which is always really tough because you've got to pick between really good people and a lot of it also comes down to you know the look that people have as well because um you've got like a you know a team essentially you've got to make sure each character is differentiated from differentiated from each other so that you know on, on the script we tried to make sure that each character had like defining traits that would separate them apart so wouldn't just be, they wouldn't become like a homogenous mess of of who's that character is that the same one as that one and trying to sort of cast people that looked different to each other had different accents so that you know the characters um feel like a team that you can understand differentiate from each other but yeah we were very lucky in the, the, the amount of people applied and luckily also that so many of them had rugby experience you know, they all played rugby in school or to quite high levels. You know, um, I think a lot of them stopped when they act, when they started acting. I think that's like, that was a common theme that people didn't want to keep playing rugby because they were worried about getting black eyes for parts and things when they had auditions. Mm-hmm. But, but a lot of them had were great. I mean, there's one or two who had no rugby experience at all. We sort of gave them a bit of mentoring before we started shooting to get them to bring you know, bring them up to speed. But, I mean, we, we were so lucky that everyone was just really got stuck in, and it was funny on set as well. You know, the the they started behaving like a team after, like, after a very short amount of time because they're on set together a lot of the time. And it, it is, I think being on a film set with the same group of people is very much like being in a rugby team. And the amount of metaphors that sort of we threw around on set when we were talking about you know, what filmmaking versus like, being in a rugby team is like, they're very similar. Kind of, you're both going through struggles and trials and, and the camaraderie is very, it was, on set was very, very strong between all the actors. It was, yeah, it was really good. That's cool. From the first moment you come up with this idea, like I want to make a, a gay rugby film, to the first day of filming, how many, how long was that? Probably about two years. I mean, we really wanted to get it right. Um, and I, th- I think that, and I still feel, you know, we have such a responsibility to accurately portray this world and sort of do it, you know, do it justice. And I think, 
Uh, this is one of the reasons I, Adam, my co-writer, why I got him on board because he knows absolutely nothing about rugby and still doesn't, <laughs> apart from what apart from what he's learned from writing this. But I wanted to have someone on board who was essentially a layman who, if they found it interesting, you know, if he found it interesting, I knew an audience would. Uh, and that way, you don't sort of get uh, you slip into using sort of too much of the rugby patois and you know and alienate the audience. And which I think is you know, is a risk you could do that. But we also make, wanted to make a story that was relatable and you know that, to anyone, whether you play rugby or not, you know whether you're gay or straight or anyway. You know, it's a, essentially a love story about there's so many themes sort of layered in it, but it's something that anyone could relate to. Um, but yeah, so for about, about two years, I'd say we refined the script. Um, and we, we always had like a core vision of what we wanted the film to be. We wanted it to be a film that had no homophobia in, because again, I, that in rugby, that's quite you know an important theme that you know you get to be yourself, you, and all the characters are all out. No, there's no coming out storylines. There's no kind of anyone who receives homophobic abuse in the film. It's all about these sort of just um, you know uh, self-actuated gay men and how they're living their lives um, as openly gay men and the problems that they ha- they, ever, they have is just like anyone else does. Um, but not focusing on the kind of the thing that every sort of gay film seems to, which is you know, oh, isn't it difficult to be gay? Is the, the gay struggle? But, mm-hmm. you know, and like we all know, you know, being gay is just one part of our lives. It's not. It doesn't completely define who we are. Obviously, it kind of it, it colours our, our you know our life experience, but um, it also adds so many different variants to to our day to day life that um, make it make it unique. But it's not all doom and gloom. And I think there's a lot of well, I, I would say the majority of gay cinema really is quite depressing. I think people would quite like a nice fun feel-good gay film about something else that's not you know um sort of homophobia or you know internalized homophobia or sort of you know, homophobic abuse or coming out yeah so that was kind of the, the i guess the, the key theme that we wanted this film to be was to be a sort of breath of fresh air and something different it really does sound like a different type of gay film um like you said usually there's the, the certain storylines that are always in a film like this but this basically sounds like a traditional love story with sport mixed I think, in, yeah. When I describe when I what, yeah. I mean, when I describe the um, the stories, people, I think in their head they have an, they imagine it's you know a gay or two one or two of the gay uh, characters in a straight team and they're struggling to be who they are because that's the kind of the, that's the kind of the archetypal thing that you get in a film like this. Whereas you know we have a uh, we start off you know we, we open with a, with a rugby match. We show that it's a gay team playing another straight team. No one cares about the, their sexuality and it's all about these characters and how they relate to each other and you know. And the fact that it is a bit like high school in the sense that you, you do bond all these people, but that doesn't mean you also 100% get along either. You know, you, you sometimes have to put up with people who maybe rub you up the wrong way or, you know, don't get, you know, and you have arguments. And it's all about, you know, how the, this, this group of people interact with each other. Um, but that's the sort of the, the sort of B story. I mean, obviously the A story is the love story where, so in, in, the, in the stags in the film, there's a, an A team, which is sort of really experienced, very good, you know, play, they win all their games. Uh, and they, they were sort of the main team that this club has had for like the five, ten years that it's been around. And this new sort of development team, which is sort of trying to get new people in, into the sport. Uh, and the club's very short for cash and they can't really afford to pay for this B team. But, you know, the chairman sort of lets it go for a while. Uh, and we spend most of our time with this, with the B team. All the characters we know and love are in the B team. But um, there's obviously this cultural divide between these two squads. So it's like a club that's divided. And um, the one of the characters from the B team has this sort of one-night stand with... A character from the A team who also has a boyfriend in the A team, so it's a, essentially a film also about um, sort of infidelity and monogamy, monogamy and open relationships, and sort of the perils of sleeping with your teammates. There's loads of sort of multi-layered themes in there, um, and these two characters basically, you know, 
it's it starts off a bit bit sort of frosty and they don't get along and then they have to, have to kind of avoid each other at training but then they see each other again and over time they start to sort of develop this these sort of feelings for each other and it kind of catches them off guard and and it's basically about how how do you conceal an affair in, in an environment where it's almost impossible to keep secrets from your teammates and also where the consequences of you know it getting found out would have big structural impacts on the culture and this sort of fab this delicate social fabric of this club because everyone knows everyone different people are friends with different people and you know and it could easily sort of all fall apart if you you know do something drastic or you know out of step really so that's the kind of the the theme the main theme that the well the main story i'd say that runs through the the film and how about this 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 sort of love story and how that interacts with the wider group of of these these characters and and how it all unravels and at the end how they all come together again over it you know when they when uh, i don't want to spoil the ending but uh, <laughs> you know, when when let's say at some point it, it, itself i think it's pretty obvious that at some point the shit will have to hit the fan and it's how these characters deal with that after that kind of you know the bomb's been dropped and how does their kind of fraternity and kind of connection to each other sort of help them through it really what was the first day of filming like was it exciting for you um crazy um it was exciting i think i think everyone i enjoyed filming as well but i think everyone had a great time of filming apart from me not apart from me but it's i think it was so the whole sort of 40 day shoot was so stressful because i was doing not just the directing but also the uh, camera work and i think because it's a low budget production everyone's shouldering lots of different responsibilities you know outside of their normal role but it was uh, it was just a hectic i mean i lost about 10 kilos throughout the whole <laughs> shoot I, I don't know what that is in pounds but it literally just you, you're just running around like a headless chicken not really eating properly for like you know about two months um, but it was, I mean, the first day of shoot when we, when we, everyone's in costume and all these, these characters there who, you know, these actors who have prepared these characters, uh, and you're watching this, this thing come to life after you've been writing it for two years. It, it, it is magical. You know, it is crazy like making films, you know, when you, when you see this sort of stuff, it is, it is the stuff of dreams. You know, people, there's, that's, there's a reason that Hollywood is sort of held up as this pinnacle of, you know, of creative endeavor and, you know, people, it has this magic around it. Cause it is even a sort of low budget filmmaker. It is amazing. Um, and the first day of filming, yeah, it was it was amazing and stressful in equal measure, which is pretty much how it continued for the rest of the shoot. And then how does that compare to the last day? You said about two months later? Um, well, because we, we, we jiggled the schedule around a bit because our lead actor um, had an audition for a lead, sort of a, a part in a quite a major uh, soap opera in the UK. So we moved the shoot day um, out of the way so he could have that. And then we moved that day right to the end of the schedule which basically meant some of the most key scenes between the for the love story elements we all shot on one day right at the end <laughs> but it, it, in the end it actually worked perfectly because these two actors had you know two months to get to know each other and it made those scenes really impactful because they, they they were the best they're the most important scenes we did them right at the end when they you know knew they, they really developed their characters as much as is physically possible and they gave some incredible performances and they, you know, they, they just looked great. I mean, they're both electric on screen. It's, you know, I can't, I'm really excited to get the film finished and get people to see it because it's, it, yeah, I'm really pleased with it. By the way, have we said the name of the film? What is the name of the film? Uh, no, sorry. It's, it's called In From The Side, which is kind of, um, it's, so double meaning. So in rugby, there's a, an illegal move where, um, where you, you form a ruck and you come, if you have to be, be behind the hindmost foot of your, you know, your side and you can't come in from the side of a ruck. So it's an illegal move, but also it's kind of coming into the side of a relationship. Um, so it's and it's also kind of a slightly ambiguous title that kind of inspires intrigue a little bit because unless which makes you kind of read into it and realize it's a kind of a rugby term. Um, I always like some titles, you know, things like "Call Me by Your Name," like titles that kind of are unusual and a bit different that kind of stand out. Um, and 
And also, I think a, t- a really good title should always kind of speak about the genre that it's in. And Infamous Side, obviously, is a very specific rugby term, so people know that it's a film about rugby. Well, if you know about rugby, you'd know. Um, um, yeah, and it's just right from the start that... I mean, we came up with various ones when we were sort of brainstorming it, but that was the one that stuck out. Because um, all the rest are a bit sort of, you know, a bit cliched, I thought, you know, office feet or, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's a bit... Yeah, it was a bit on the nose, but I liked that because I thought it was slightly ambiguous and had enough, had the kind of feel that the film has of this kind of interesting sort of um, you know introspective um, narrative about this this main character and what he you know, what he goes through as a gay man. So right now you're in the process of editing, I take it. Yeah, it's a it's a very long process. So um, it's I'm anticipating it's probably going to take at least six months. And it, I mean it's tough to it. I mean a normal editor would spend you know a solid month or two trying to get the you know a rough cut out. But I'm trying to do that whilst having a full-time job because I'm back working now because I have to pay off the, the money that I borrowed to make the film. Um, <laughs> and obviously now setting up a, a, a an actual rugby club, which is taking over even more of my time. So it's trying to, it's about trying to find a balance of when I can squeeze in time to do all the post-production and the editing and writing the music and all the stuff that needs to be done, really. Nice. When will it come out? Do you know? Do you have a date yet? That's the question I've been asked about a million times by absolutely everyone. I don't. I've no idea. I think I'd like to try and get a rough cut or something done by sort of October, November time. Um, and then we can maybe show that to festivals or to distributors. Um, but even let's say it gets, you know, it gets bought by a sort of distributor for a cinema release and so, you know, they buy it in December. It, it likely won't be a year before you see it in cinemas because most distributors want to have like a, you know, a lead, a year lead up time to do the marketing or to do the other festivals and stuff. So I'd imagine uh, realistically earliest late 2020, but um, there will be like private screenings of, like, in festivals and stuff probably before then. Um, so if you know people want to seek it out and you know go to fest like go to a festival that might be screening it, then they can try and get see it earlier. And I probably if I get it finished early enough, I might do a screening for the Bingham Cup next year. I'm oh, sure nice. like, we can organise something for that. When do you think you have the first teaser out? Well, again, it's, it's I I started throwing together I started throwing together a teaser a couple of months ago, and I realised like as I started editing the film. I mean, you know, there's obviously for a whole feature film, there's so much footage. We shot, you know, days and days of reels of stuff. Um, and as I was editing, I kept finding really nice little moments. I thought this would be good in the trailer. And I thought if I just threw something together, it wouldn't, I'd be missing all these things that I would find when I'm going through the editing process. So I really want to try and get as much of the film edited first before kind of throwing together the teaser because I think it'll make the teaser much stronger for it. But I also want to get something out there because I know that it, people are kind of hungry to to know more about it because we've gone very quiet on social media since I've been doing all the post-production and I need to keep kind of posting about it really. Do you have a, a rating in mind for the movie? Well, we've, we're, we're aiming for like a sort of, I think an 18 or I guess in America it's an R rated. I'm not sure, but basically like an, an, an adult, an adult rated. Yeah. Because I think for game movies, people want to know that it's kind of, it's adult material. And it's not kind of, uh, and there's certain ways that you can do that to try and sort of force a classification of an adult thing. You just throw in, you know, a bit of bad language, a bit of nudity and like a bit of violence or something. I mean, violence is just, it, it's rugby impacts and things. It's not, uh, you know, and the occasional fight that happens, but it's yeah, not. Yeah, sport violence is not, different than. Yeah, it's 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 not. But I mean, it it's the sex, the uh, the language and stuff that we, we, we try to sort of pepper it with to make it an adult kind of film, essentially. But I mean, it, it still thing doesn't bother me, but I know from a sales point of view, people do seek out adult rated films. Uh, when I say adult as in, you know, films aimed at adults rather than sort of, uh, you know, teenage audience, for instance, because they know it's going to have material and it's going to be more mature. So there's a sort of, there's a strategy. And teens will it. see it anyway. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, exactly. I think at the end of the day, you know, teens want to see films that are rated above their, what they're supposed to watch anyway. So it's kind of, there is a sort of tactic in trying to 
you know, get it a slightly higher rating than normal. It's not, we're not, it's not like a mainstream film where you try and rate it as low as possible to get the widest audience. You know, when you're doing gay cinema, you want to kind of hit your niche well. Well, yeah, now you're finding out too with um, like Daredevil and superhero movies like that where the R rating actually is part of the the reason to get people to go. So Yeah, exactly. They, they seek out films like that. Do you have any, do you have a preference to being a cinema release or like a Netflix that's difficult, isn't it? Because it, Netflix has really changed the way the industry works. I mean, I classically would love a cinema release because I think it's it. A film should be watched in a cinema. To me, I think that's that's how I grew up watching films. I think there's something really magical about watching a film on a big screen in a dark room, you know, in a theatre full of people. Uh, but you know, Netflix, are, you know, they they pay a lot of money for films now for ex, you know for exclusivity, and people love to watch things in their own home. So it's tough to say. Um, but I mean, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be close to to you know, looking at Netflix. But I mean, my preference would be to have a cinema release, do the DVD stuff, and then do like a streaming uh, release after we've done those. We've explored those avenues of distribution. But that's a question more for my uh, other producer who does who's going to be dealing with that stuff, not me. Okay. Yeah, and honestly, the way it is now, a lot of times it's sort of both. You you're in a cinema for a little bit, and then you get a re- exclusive release with Netflix, or but like you said, whatever happens, happens. I think also the having a cinema release I'm, that may be changing though, but having a cinema release is usually conditional on getting into the awards stuff as well. So like if the BAFTAs and the Oscars, you have to have had like a, a limited cinema release in several cities to be eligible. So, you know, it would be nice to have a BAFTA or something. You never know. I mean, it's wishful thinking, who knows? But, but you know, it's nice to think that that's an option. If, you know, having a cinema release is, is heads you in that direction to an extent. Okay, well, I could talk about your movie all day, but I think a lot of people might come on here to talk or hear rugby. So you finish this movie, well, the filming of it. You have these kits, you have equipment. How long do you find these group of people that are looking to start something? So um, I basically created, well, the we had first few training sessions, we had very few people turn up and we thought, okay, right, we need to hit this hard and do this well. So the training session after that i brought my big camera along because obviously i have all the production gear from the film still uh and i filmed one of our training sessions took loads of photography and sort of put together a sort of marketing campaign to to sort of make this more of a, a physical thing that people could visualize what they were attending and would inspire people to want to go so we kind of powered out this sort of social media campaign uh you know we attended like a sports fairs to uh, to kind of you know promote the club and then very quickly after that happened i think because we, we knew we had something that people wanted. We knew that, that London was a big place that, you know, the Steelers do very well. They have massive membership, but, you know, they're very oversubscribed as well. And the, the London, there's a big demand of people who want to you know, play rugby. And sometimes if you live like in South London, you know, it's a long way to go. I mean, for me, it's a long, it was a long way to go to East London to play for the Steelers. And the idea of having a local team, you know, it's, it's, it's a really great thing for rugby in London because it, uh, it brings more people into the sport, which is, which is only a good thing. Um, and since we put the marketing campaign out, we've had people just messaging the group or just turning up or word of mouth. And it has grown at a ridiculous rate since we've kind of, you know, we've created this clear image of what this is. And, you know, we've how we differentiate ourselves from other clubs as well. You know, we've, we've very much gone for this kind of like, uh, our motto or kind of ethos is it's no pressure rugby. So and I think for like we talked about earlier, I think for a lot of gay men, they worry about this expectation of what they think it's going to be like and is it going to be really hardcore is it going to be too intense so they're going to feel like you know a fish out of water and kind of repeating to people that you know it's low pressure it's going to be fun it's not we're not going to expect people to be able to play you know amazing rugby on day one or even have to play contact rugby if they don't want to you know they can still come along and be part of the culture and I think like a lot of people they 
who we've spoken to, they said they, you know, they want to come along to make friends and to get fit. And what they don't realise is they'll fall in love with this sport because no one, no, I think no one really realises how much they fall in love with rugby until they, they start getting into it. And people, everyone does. Um, and so we just encourage people to come along, you know, uh, enjoy the fitness side of it, enjoy the socials. You know, we've got some great coaches who, you know, put on really good sessions and they've got really good techniques and stuff. And we do, it's a lot of fun, especially the first half of the sessions. We do a lot of fun, like team building stuff um, and fit, you know, it's very fitness related as well that anyone can do. It's not so skills related. And that gets everyone to kind of, you know, relax a bit. And then when we can start doing some skills work with rugby, that's, um, you know, they, they get into that and they start loving that too, because you've kind of, you've um, opened them up to being more receptive towards things. Um, and since we've we've filmed and like taken photos of this stuff and we put it online, people now know what it is that they want to come to, and it's spreading quite quickly through word of mouth. And we we, like I said, we knew that this was something that people would like, and there's there would be a big demand for it. And now people know that it's here, so we can supply that demand. So obviously the Steelers, I think they have what about four or five teams. I think it's almost five or six now. I think it's it's a, it's an enormous club. Yeah, besides location, which obviously, like you said, in London is is a key thing for you. Is there anything else you're providing that people won't get with the Steelers? Um, like maybe the, just the smallest, the newness of it now? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, obviously the fact we're a new club. I mean, I, I was in the Steelers for five years and the club that it is now is very different to the club when I joined. You know, it was much smaller when I joined and you sort of, it was slightly, you know, I don't, I don't want to say more community feeling at the beginning, but also, you know, the level of rugby they play now is is exceptional. They play, you know, amazing level. And, they you know, their first team had an unbeaten season. I think it was last season. Um, and I think it's very, very rugby focused. And that's great because it's, you know, it's really pushing the boundaries of, you know, gay and inclusive rugby and showing how, you know, gay teams can, you know, really, you know, give everyone else a run for their money. But I think what the problem that I had, for instance, with the Sears was it's a massive time commitment. You know, they train twice a week with, uh, you know, matches on almost there was one season where I almost played every weekend and it's you realize oh god I can't have a life outside of this club and it's that because there's so many people you know who will, will take your place if you don't do that there, there is that pressure and that expectation to have to let it become your life um, and that's fine because so many people love that and that's completely great um, but there are obviously people who kind of just disappear from the club and you go oh I wonder what happened to them and then, then you if you, you see them out and they say oh yeah it was just a bit too much for me and you know and we like you know, with me and the sort of four other founders of the club, we sort of sat down and said, you know, we've got twenty-five years or twenty-four years of, uh, of Steelers, uh, you know, to learn from. Um, you know, of all the actions they've done to sort of go right. Let's let's set our club up the way kind of we want a club to be. Um, and one of that was, you know, making it very low pressure. We will we will never train more than once a week. Um, maybe maybe we'll do if we have a match on Saturday, we might do one session during the week. But that way, it remains um, not a massive time commitment for people. Um, and we always make sure that we do as many socials as we do for training sessions because I think really at the end of the day people like some people really enjoy that high level rugby but a lot of people enjoy the social side and want to the socials almost more I mean socials for me for instance I love playing rugby with my friends or you know with people who have become my friends um, when you start playing with people who you don't really know and when you're in a massive club and I think it's, it's, it's difficult because the Steelers is such an enormous club it's, it is difficult to kind of reconcile these things and how do you keep everyone happy and it, it's, a tough, it's a tough thing to sort of you know to try and solve but you know there is a problem when you turn up and you, you don't know any of the one who, people on your team because they're just every, every couple of weeks you have a new turnover of people and it's it is like a this sort of factory mentality that's quite difficult um, and you know, we want to really try and avoid that and make go much more back back to basics kind of have a much smaller group of people and even when you know we, we anticipate you know uh, it's very likely we could end up becoming the size of the Steelers within a couple of years you know because if or I mean if you look at the growth we had now you know it's, it's almost doubled every time we've had a session and we've got to kind of plan ahead if that does happen but 
we're sort of writing into our constitution elements that will make sure that we always keep everything integrated everyone socializes with everyone we never have this kind of um like in the film <laughs> you know a, a sort of a club divided we have the elitist people over here and either the kind of the, the new people over in the other corner and who don't talk to each other and we always try and keep it kind of mixed because really at the end of the day people want to come and have social rugby because no matter what people say it's always a hobby it's always amateur rugby no one's going to become professional from this and we have to keep that in mind and make sure that is always the focus and that people enjoy coming to training and then if you if they enjoy it they'll keep coming um and if you start making it a bit not so much fun for them or a bit hard work and you know their, their work actual work gets a bit stressful and suddenly they don't want to have stress in their rugby life as well they just start dropping off and not coming and then you sort of you think oh what happened you know whereas if we address that up, up front and say you know we want to make this uh a friendly fun thing to be a part of um that's not too intense and that's kind of how we're differentiating ourselves which is another reason why you know i think the students are probably quite happy that we're, we're offering something different to them as well because we're not really competing mm -hmm. yeah you guys are both going to offer something good for the sport and good for um the gay community and yeah. sport and you know what's nice about rugby as well is it's all community based. You know we have we you know the Steelers that we will come from there, and you know and all the other clubs around the country as well have been so supportive of us. And it's all about kind of supporting other people. And hope some point it'd be nice down the line if we can play the Steelers, you know, and be have a good good you know, friendly relationship with them because you know they are our, well apart from the Brighton team, they're our sort of closest team. So, what type of social events are you guys doing? Um, at the moment, we sort of do a social event between each training session. So a lot of that can be. Uh, we try not to do all drinking related things, but we do things like we organize like a paintballing thing. We do pub quiz stuff. Even if it's just going down to the pub, after, we have a, a like a social after every training session we encourage people to go to where they'll go to the pub, like, which is our, our local pub that sponsors us right next to where we train. Um, and that way everyone gets to know each other. You know, Especially as founders, we our job is to kind of go around and chat to people who look like they're on their own and don't know, you know, who, they just sort of sit on their own going, hey, what's your name? And then trying to introduce them to other people who've been in the club. And that way you're just getting people to mix socially and, and keeping that kind of that flow going of people kind of getting to know each other and it not feeling isolated. Because I think that's, that's, what's, that's what it's really about, is making it inc as inclusive as possible. But um, yeah, so the socials we do essentially are kind of, uh, we do a lot of nights out, we do a lot of um, meet and greet type things, you know, come along to this and, you know, or we're going to have a big initiation one coming up, which we'll be doing at our local sort of nightclub, um, who's also might be one of our sponsors. But um, uh, yeah, so we, it's lots of stuff like that, just to keep, really keep it fun. Lots of sort of just, you know, getting people, getting people to know each other. Now, looking over your Instagram feed, um, do you have to be studly and beardly to be on the club or? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that's just like, I did notice that when we posted that there's actually a lot of people who have beards and like and also glasses now that seems to be a, a theme it was completely un, not not intentional it just seems to happen I think a lot of people in London have beards I think that must, I think a lot of gay men especially have beards so it's not it's not a requirement I think it's more just a feature of London All right I read your article the article that you did or you were interviewed in it was for boner.com or boner magazine First of all I have to ask is it an issue to be a gay club and then also be featured in something like Boner Magazine? Just, is that too stereotypical or are you, you as a club okay with that? Um, I mean, from our, well, from our point of view, at this point, any publicity is good publicity. And they contacted us to say, we'd love to feature you in something. And I'm not going to turn around and say no, because it's, you know, it's got a funny name on the magazine or whatever, you know, it, and at the end of the day, we're not ashamed that we're a gay club, you know, and we're not, I think, we, we had a conversation at the very start that we said we're never going to take our club brand too seriously that we start it, it impacts our members and you know and it's funny because uh, a couple of the guys who are on the team have, um, 
have said they want to get these custom made stags colored harnesses <laughs> made for when they go on like nights out and we, we encourage that sort of thing you know we're not like oh no that's that's a bit you know because I think it's it's very easy to take yourselves a bit too seriously and get a bit too anal about how your club's perceived and I think once you start doing that you start going down the wrong path about what your priorities are and I think really again your priority your priority should be your players enjoyment and and satisfaction in the, in the experience they're getting in the club and and, you know, at the end of the day, haters going to hate, you know, people are always going to have a problem with something and you know, say, oh, you'll be you're you're upholding stereotypes by doing that. And who cares, really? You know, it's it was a nice bit of publicity that we got and it was a good way to sort of express the kind of what the club's about. And you know, it's done very well. So, um, you know, I, w- I wouldn't be turning down any press from other other sort of things like that. I mean, it's, it's a bit different that, you know, if we had like a sort of a porn magazine or something to do it, but it's not. But I mean, even then, you know. The fetishization of rugby is going to happen regardless, so you might as well just sort of capitalise off it and get a bit more, improve your membership through doing it, you know, by getting the word out a bit more. So any plans for a naked calendar then from South London Stags? We'd probably be the only club that didn't think about that if we didn't do that. I think every club at some point has either done one or thought about it. Yes, probably. We'll probably do one at some point, I'm sure. Um, you know, it, I, I'm, if we if we don't plan it, the members will want to do it. Everyone wants to be in a naked calendar. It's just it's just one of those staple <laughs> rugby things. That it's off the checklist. Do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very much so. So, how many guys do you have currently? It's difficult to say because um, I'd rough. Well, we have about sixty or seventy members on our group. There are people who sort of have added themselves to the group to sort of be saying they want to come to training. And we've had the last training session. There was about forty people. This is like yesterday. Um, but a lot of people from that have sent their apologies who they were the ones before and they want to come to one after. So it, I think you'll always get a larger membership of people, but they don't always come to every session. So if you, you know, the Steelers, for instance, have about 200 members, but I think you get sort of about sort of 60 or 70 turn up at training every time. It's, it's always going to be different people and that's just the way it is. But it's hard to tell because our numbers are increasing every week. So it's, it, I could, I'll tell you this now, but in a, in a, in a week's time or two, in a month's time, I, who knows, it could be double that. But um, yeah, we have about sort of we had about forty people who turned up training last session. It was about thirty to the, the time before, uh, and you know more people sort of every every time we post new stuff, people kind of see it and message going, oh that was quite fun. Can I come along? You know, uh, and I say, I say yes, you come along. We train this this time, bring this, and you know, and then more people t- show up and they tell their friends. So it's yeah, it's tough to say, but I, at the moment we've got a, sixty members who are on the group, uh, but that's growing so. Do you have an idea of your first 15 guys for your first match, whenever that is? Well, so we're going to play the Sea Serpents first, probably, um, because they've been really, really good to us as a club. They've been very publicly supportive and, you know, posting all the stuff about. And and also that they are technically our nearest club in terms of that, you know, it's actually about very quick to get a train to Brighton. Um, And they... Uh, they've offered to help us out a lot, so and they've offered us to, us to march with them at Brighton Pride as well. So we'll probably play them first, um, but we want to try and do that maybe sort of August September time because that way it gives the new guys a bit of a chance to learn some of the skills they feel included. They feel they can you know participate, so it's not just something that's only open to the more experienced members of the club who've joined. It's fitting too that your first match would be for Brighton considering South London and Brighton have a little rivalry. Yeah, well, I, th- I don't think it's that much of a rivalry. I think they, they've, they've been lovely to us. They've been really, really good to us. Well, I, I mean in football. Oh, well, a different sport. <laughs> well, yeah. But um, also, one of our, our, also our coach, actually, one of our, our main coaches, she actually does a lot of work with the Brighton team as well. So that's also like another connection we have with them. Oh, nice. You have a female coach? Yeah. Yeah, she's really good. Any plans for a female team eventually? 
Well, we I think every club has this discussion at some point, but the problem, the problem, well, not problem. It's the amazing thing about women's rugby is it's the ultimate in inclusivity. You know that I think a gay club doesn't really need to have a women's team because there's so many women's clubs already, and they are you know very inclusive. You know they have a very high, high sort of you know lesbian a membership. You know I'd, I'd say about, I don't know about fifty fifty I guess. So really, it's it's if you're a, um, if you're a woman who wants to get into playing rugby, there's plenty of you know there's so many already i think we'd have to compete with all of those if we wanted to start one um and i think you know they're, they're very established and that would be quite tough to do whereas there's you know very little gay rugby club well there's you know there's only one other one in london so we don't have as much competition in that regard but you know we'd be up for it we call them the does or something you know <laughs> <laughs> nice we've been going for about an hour almost i don't want to take up all your time do you have anything else you want to say about the stags as you begin the club and um I just think, uh, just to say, you know, if anyone wants to try out rugby for the first time, you know, get in contact, you know, just message the Facebook page, you know, we're open to, for any members to, I think the other thing we want, we, we've very much differentiated ourselves in, in the sense is that we allow members of any ability to come at any time throughout the year. I think some clubs only allow new members to come maybe, you know, in, in September when they start their season, uh, because they want to try and train them all up at the same speed. But because we're also training up a lot of, our, we, we, a lot of us are getting our coaching qualifications as well, so that we can give we can offer more coaches to give sort of more uh, smaller tuition to smaller groups, people who maybe are new, who are joining later down the line to bring them up to speed faster. So yeah, anyone at any time really who wants to give rugby a go and thinks that it might be something they'd be interested in, even however tentatively come along for a training session, you've got nothing to lose and you might have, you might find a sport that you completely fall in love with. Nice. So to wrap up, and from the side, it'll be out probably early 2020. Uh, probably late 2020, maybe early. Who knows? It's difficult to tell. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever it's ready. It's cool. I'm excited for the film. I can't wait to see it. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you, Matt, for coming on. I really appreciated our time together. And I look forward to seeing what the stags do in the future. Thanks. Really, really good chatting to you. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Matt Carter from the South London Stags. We had a lot of fun. We talked for over an hour. Uh, most of it was recorded. And um, I hope you learned a lot about the movie In From The Side. It will be in theaters in 2020. More info will be on his website, on his socials, which I will share in my show notes, as well as socials for South London Stacks. Anyways, hope you enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to a new episode on Tuesday. Thank you. <laughs>